This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Pastor Ron. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back with you. I think I was last here before Christmas, so I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. Um, It's now the season of Lent as we prepare for Easter. And one of my devotional guides that I've been using um, this Lent season, my first time trying to practice the... um, the season of Lent, is this devotional. It's an art devotional, um, and there's a picture of it coming up. Um, In my devotional um, last week or so was a meditation on light. And since this book uses art, um, naturally, um, they chose a painting from Jan Vermeer, who is known for his reflections on light. Now, you might think that the main character from this 1662 painting is the woman, but it's the light. Um, You can see how it shines on her headdress, how it glimmers on the water jug, and how it lights up the wall behind her. Light is revealing as the things in shadow remain in the dark. Now, Jesus pondered light and being the light of the world, and he had this long theological discourse with the Pharisees in chapter 8 of the book of John, talking about different theological points, and he says, I'm the light of the world in that one. Now, again, in chapter 9, he says, I'm the light of the world, but there's no theological conversation. Um... So we're going to see today how Jesus uses um, a real-life example to illustrate what it means that he is the light of the world. Now, chapter 9 is a long chapter. Um, I'm not going to read all of it um, out loud. We'll skip over part of it, and then we'll come back and reference it later. But I thought 41 verses would be a little long, so... (laughs) But it's a really great chapter. So we're going to start in uh, verse 1. And then, so if you you can read along on the screen, or if you brought your own Bible, feel free to open up to John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. We're going to skip down to verse 24. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in this son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were, who were with him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. Jesus, thank you um, for this story, for your word, so that we can know you. So reveal to us today what it is you want us to receive from you. Amen. So in the first seven verses, you can move forward to the next slide, Jesus interacts with this blind man, and the disciples ask a question. Why was this man born blind? What did he do to deserve it? Who sinned? Maybe he sinned in his mother's womb. That was a common thought back then. Or his parents sinned. But like, what did he do that he needed to be punished by being born blind. Now, we may think this is an outdated question. I mean, we know a lot more genetic reasons for things today than maybe they did back then. But I really don't think we're that much different than the disciples. I think we're often looking for who's at fault when we ponder the darkness of the world. We often ask who is at fault. Who started the fight? It takes two. Man, they both caused their divorce. Or they should have had more defensible space. Why do we focus on blame? Maybe we think that once we did determine what caused the horrible thing, then we could not do it, and so then we can avoid that horrible thing happening to us. Maybe blame is just a way that we're trying to control something uncontrollable. Though it's not comfort to the person actually suffering, blame can temporarily comfort us in our deep fear that that same horrible thing might happen to us. Jesus, however, responds to his disciples that this isn't about sin. Sin wasn't the cause of his blindness. Neither the man nor his parents sinned. 
Rather, Jesus said, so that it was through him God's works might be revealed. So Jesus redirects them from cause, from the blame game, to focus on who God is and what he could do in this situation. Isn't it relieving to know that not everything bad in your life is from karma? That you don't deserve all the bad things that happen to you. That every bad thing in your life isn't a punishment for something that you did wrong. What a miserable life that would be if we just always focused on all the blame we deserved or thought we deserved and we missed out on who God is and what he could do. And Jesus continues in talking with the disciples. We must work while it is day because night is coming, which seems to be a reference to Jesus being alive to do the work of God now. Um, And then it will be night with his death on the cross when he can no longer do the works of God on earth. And Jesus then declares, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground to make mud with his saliva, and he spread it on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool. And the man obeyed. Then for the bulk of this story, this chapter in John, he focuses on the interactions and the feelings and the conversations between the characters. Jesus isn't even in the middle part of this chapter except to be talked about. Um, So first, um, the neighbors exclaim that this really isn't the same blind man. I mean, it must just be someone who looks like him. Um, And so he declares, no, it is me. Jesus healed me. And then they aren't quite sure what to do with him, so they take him to the Pharisees. And so then he tells his story to the Pharisees. I was blind, but now I see. And since healing on the Sabbath that we discover in this paragraph of the story, this all happened on the Sabbath. Since healing on the Sabbath was against God's laws, some of the Pharisees say, well, of course, the man who did the healing couldn't be a God follower because he disobeyed God's laws. But others argue, but how could a sinner perform such a sign? So they're in a dilemma and they can't figure out who's right. And so then the religious leaders decide, well, maybe this formerly blind man isn't trustworthy, so we're going to go talk to his parents. Is this really your son? Was he really born blind? You know, how was he healed? And they say, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know how he was healed. Partly, the text tells us that they say that because they don't want to admit about Jesus um, doing the healing because there was consequences in the synagogue. If you had believed Jesus to be the Messiah, then you would be kicked out of the synagogue. And so they don't want that punishment. And so they're like, well, go talk to our son. And also, their son is of age, so they're not going to speak for him. So they just direct the Pharisees, well, go back to our son. He knows what happened. He's old enough to represent himself. (laughs) And so then we pick back up in verse 24 now, where we read. So the Pharisees go back again to have another conversation with the formerly blind man. And they question him again about Jesus. And they tell him, give glory to God. 
which this does not mean what we think it means. It doesn't mean, oh, worship God, isn't God wonderful? This means do right by God and tell the truth. So in this context, what they're saying is you need to tell the truth about Jesus' sinfulness. We all know he's a sinner, so let's just be honest about it, okay? That's what they mean. But the blind man shares his story again, a third time. I was blind, but now I see. So three times he shares the same story in this chapter. Three times. He knows it is true. What are you so sure of in your relationship with God that you repeat it over and over and over? Do you have something like that? Have you experienced something like that? I want to give you a moment to think about it. All right, why don't you turn to neighbor, and if you thought of something, share it with them. And if you don't have something to share, or you don't feel comfortable, just listen and learn from the other person of how God was at work in their life. So go ahead, share for a minute. Awesome. I'm glad you've been talking. You have something to share. That's really exciting. For me, um, God's invitation to me to work with college students is so strong in my memory that it continues to motivate me today. I studied abroad in England my sophomore year of college, and I remember sitting on my dorm bed one day and just telling God in prayer, like, I've grown so much in my relationship with you through this campus ministry in England, and I've been a Christian since I was five. Like, that's amazing. And you know what I heard God say to me? He said, and what do you think I could do through this ministry with someone who doesn't even know me yet? And I thought, I want to find out. I want to know what he can do. So 24 years now, I've been working with InterVarsity. Christian Fellowship on college campuses. It's so fun to see what God can do. At our Santa Rosa Junior College baseball Bible study, several of the teammates who attend are not Christians. Um, Noah was attended last year, and in one of our studies, studying Jesus, he was so amazed at Jesus, he said, Jesus is effing awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And then a couple weeks after that, um, Noah and I sat down to talk, and he just, he wanted to know if God was really real. And I said, have you asked him? And he was like, no. I'm like, you can ask him. So he just didn't even realize he could ask God to reveal himself. 
And so a couple weeks after that, I was sitting down talking to another teammate, and this teammate was like, Noah asked God to show up in his life, and you know what? All this crazy beep is happening now. <laughs> and I was like, awesome, this is so cool. And so this guy was like, maybe I can ask God too. <laughs> I was like, these are the best Bible studies ever, because they're discovering Jesus is alive and real and really cares about them. And at the end of the semester, Noah prayed to receive Jesus in his life. And now, get this, I don't know how God, what God has in plan. I'm still waiting to see what he's doing. But Noah got an offer from my alma mater in Illinois. So now he's playing baseball at my alma mater in my hometown, attending that team Bible study, and having dinner off and on with my parents. (laughs) Pretty cool. I can't wait to see what God does. And that's just one of our students. And there's so many students um, at SSU, Maritime Academy of Vallejo, Santa Rosa Junior College. Um, God is doing so many exciting things. I just can't, um, I can't wait to see what he, got, what he does next. <laughs> now, back to our story. The Pharisees request again that the blind man tell the story again of what Jesus did to heal him. But this time, the formerly blind man quits playing their game. Instead, he questions them. Why do you want to hear it? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) They reviled him. Do you know what that word means? I personally looked it up because I wasn't quite sure. It means they criticized him in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. That sounds horrible. But the man is still not deterred from what he knows to be true. He still decides to teach the religious leaders. (laughs) We know that God does not listen to sinners, but does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So though facing pressure from those in authority, though being on the receiving end of angry words, this man stands confidently in what he knows to be true. He doesn't doubt what happened to him. He doesn't second guess. He doesn't back down. When we face pressure and receive angry words, how do we respond? I admire this man's courage. But the Pharisees did not. (laughs) The religious leaders are so insulted that they then declare that this formerly blind man was born entirely in sin, which we already know is not true. Jesus said that at the very beginning. But the Pharisees drive the man out of the synagogue. And so the consequences that his parents feared, now he has to endure. My seminary class this quarter was on the integration of psychology and theology. And my professor said, encounters with Jesus invite us to reorder or rightly order our relationships. And since the Trinity is rightly ordered, we are invited into this rightly ordered way of life in ourselves and in community. So connecting psychology and theology can positively impact our personal and corporate relationships. 
So looking with a psychology lens on the interactions of this passage offered me new insights. Is Uriah here? We'll see what the MFT thinks of my analysis. <laughs> so since Jesus and the Pharisees had been discussing um, theology matters in chapter 8, we know that they already know each other. And so I wondered, why didn't they just talk to Jesus about if Jesus is a sinner? Why do they pressure the blind man to answer for Jesus' sinfulness? In psychology, I think they would call this triangulation. When one is anxious or insecure in their relationship with another person, an unhealthy way to deal with that is to bring in a third party. And so one attempts to get the third party to agree with them so they can, you know, form an alliance. And then this creates division between the second person and the third person. So from chapter 8, we know that the Pharisees have tried to stone Jesus and arrest Jesus. I think they're feeling a little anxious and insecure in their relationship with Jesus. And so maybe they think if we can get the blind man to agree with us, then we can discredit Jesus and his healing and all these people following him. Do you know what the healthy solution is to break free when you're the one when you're being triangulated? It's self-differentiation, which is a fancy psychology term that basically means to be yourself, speak for yourself. Um, uh, what was the other? It's like, speak your truth um, while seeking to remain in relationship. And this is what the blind man does. This is what we saw him do. He speaks his mind, his thoughts about who Jesus is. Um, in relationship with the Pharisees, he stands up for what he believes and what he thinks. Now, an unhealthy response to self-differentiation is blaming, scapegoating, um, and um, increasing the conflict, which hurts the relationship even further, and which we see the Pharisees doing by blaming the blind man, scapegoating him that he's the one totally born in sin, and then they excommunicate him from the synagogue. So this man has been on the outside of religious community his whole life. And now, even though he can finally see he is forced out of religious community again, what an emotional roller coaster of a day. I imagine he started off really happy, like he can see. He's never known sight. He's never known what things look like, and now he can see. But with everything that has transpired, I imagine he might be feeling sad, confused, alone, I'm angry that he's just powerless to change his circumstances in life, and maybe a little despairing and wondering, maybe I really am a sinner. But Jesus heard that this man was driven out, and he stopped what he was doing to go find him. And when he found the formerly blind man, he asked him if he believed in the Son of Man. And the man asked, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe. Remember that though Jesus had healed him, he had never seen Jesus. 
because Jesus put the mud on his eyes and told him to go to the pool and wash it off. So he knew it was Jesus who healed him, but he had never seen Jesus. He knew the effects of Jesus' healing in his life, but he had never seen Jesus for himself. And so here is someone in the Bible who gets our faith experience. We see the effects of Jesus' work in our lives and in people around us, but we have never seen Jesus for ourselves. And then Jesus responds to the formerly blind man and confesses, the one speaking with you is he. And then the man expresses his belief and now finally sees the one who healed him. And he worships Jesus. In this man's vulnerable moment of being alone, kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus finds him. Jesus reveals his identity to him. Jesus cares about him. He matters to Jesus. How has Jesus met you in a vulnerable moment? I invite you to think about that. A few years ago, um, God brought my attention to Psalm 121, and it has this repetition in a few verses there, keep, keeps, keeper, Um, and in a time of feeling like I was alone and unwanted, I heard God saying to me through those verses, you are mine for keeps. And then in January, I got sick with COVID, uh, and I had to isolate, you know, and I felt all alone um, and stuff. And so I decided to reread my favorite childhood book. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Um, My favorite. Anyway, as I got to the end of the book, not kidding you, the very last line of the book, the male character says to the female character, I want you for keeps. And I was like, what? God literally spoke to me in the words of my favorite book. <laughs> Who does that? God does. Because we matter to him. So this man's intimate encounter with Jesus, then, like many times in the stories and the Gospels, becomes a teachable moment for other people. (laughs) Jesus says, um, you can go to the next slide, I have come for judgment so that those who do not see will see, and those who see may become blind. And the Pharisees come back into the story. They're still kind of hanging around Jesus. And they say, surely we're not blind, are we? (laughs) And Jesus replies that since they believe they can see, they really are blind. And thus their sin remains. So the story started with the disciples wondering who had sinned to cause this blind man's blindness. And then the whole middle part of the passage was about if Jesus is a sinner. 
And now Jesus delivers the surprising verdict. Actually, it's the Pharisees who are the sinners. They refuse to see their own guilt and shame. They scapegoat others to avoid the darkness in their own hearts. It is the Pharisees who are the sinners. So back to our original question, how does this story illustrate that Jesus is the light of the world? Well, like a Vermeer painting, Jesus' light shines and it glimmers on those who come near the light, on those who want to see and who respond with faith. But those who remain in the darkness and the shadows, who refuse to see the light, they remain stuck in their sin. Jesus is the light of the world because he brings sight to the blind, because he leads people out of spiritual darkness into light, and his light reveals what is true in people's hearts. So may our lives shine with the light of the world. Let us pray. Jesus, what is it that you want us to receive from this passage? What stands out to us that you want us to remember who you are or how we're to relate to you? Would you reveal that to us right now? Jesus, we ask you to flood our lives with your light. You overcame darkness with your death and resurrection. So would you lead us into spiritual light, hope, truth, because of your love for us, because we matter to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.